0: Welcome to all the things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom Krista Bonträger. And now here's Krista and Monique
1: Yay! Ooh, hello, just my big my laptop on screen. But isn't it so pretty? I'm just gonna Welcome to all there. the things. Welcome to all the things. I'm Monique Dusan and this is the show where we talk about all things related to God life and the Bible. And I'm
2: Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. This show is brought to you by Impact 360. Center for Biblical Unity. Yes, this is how it goes. Theology Mom podcast and Family 210 clothing.
1: All right. So tonight we are going to be talking about, I'm not really sure where to look. Okay, here we go. Tonight we're going to be talking about Black history, the pros and cons of Black history. And this conversation started actually as something that I was going to write up, but didn't really have a lot of time because of my- Because of the 75 papers. 75 papers that I have due. Okay. Along with my 39 book chapters that are due. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so you turned it into a, I wrote most of the blog, but then it just needed some tweaks I didn't have time to do. And so you actually made it a show and I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be a good one. I have been struggling with- what do we do with black history? I grew up loving black history It was my favorite month, partly because my birthday is in February. Let's just throw that out there. But um, I also enjoy learning about Daniel Hell Williams and Mary McLeod Bethune and um, George Washington Carver and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and like all of the black figures. Like when you get to black history as a black kid, you like all you. Here we go. Like we just, you, yeah, just go in and drop it down. And so I enjoyed it. My teachers always made it very fun. And when we started the Center for Biblical Unity in 2020, Black History Month was coming to an end. It kind and of so ended, yeah. yeah, we fe- we were founded on the 24th. That next Black History Month in 2021, we did like a nice size like presentation on. Um, black uh, contributions I did,
2: like, to I history. I think I did like three posts a week or yeah. something. It was pretty, pretty It was it was a a nice campaign.
1: contribution to black voices within American history. Um, by 2022 I was like, I'm not really sure where this fits in. Now a lot of it had to do with, you know, how, how are we participating as believers, as brothers and sisters without partiality? And is celebrating black history, you know, promoting partiality? And so I didn't I didn't land anywhere, but um, and we did a few things. It was very small, but we like underrated, but we still did something. This year, I'm like, no, nah, let's hold a press. Can we just have a conversation about it? I'm not sure we actually need to participate in this, especially because we're in a season of American history currently where no one is trying to reduce Black history. No one's trying to, you know hold it back or anything like that. And so I didn't know. I just thought, you know, what, let me throw some of my thoughts out there. Um, but now we're going to do it openly and broadly yeah. and talk to Mr. Kevin Briggins about it as well.
2: Yeah. We thought it'd be fun to have Kevin join us. He's the co-host of the off code podcast. And since it's been a, on hiatus for a few months because of the writing project, I thought it'd be fun to get him in the mix here. And this isn't really like Kevin's the expert on black history. It's more like, Hey, let's just have a conversation as friends and chop it up. We hope you'll join in the conversation as you're watching as well. So let's get Kevin on here. Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Glad to have you here and uh, to talk about this important topic. We were just um, doing a school training in another state recently, and uh, you know, the topic of Black History came up, and so. We shared a few thoughts in a preliminary fashion there, like, hey, we're kind of rethinking this. So it will be good to have a public conversation and invite people to add their voice.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we definitely encourage you to. um, Thanks. (laughs) We definitely encourage you to also, you know, lend your voice. It doesn't matter part. I don't want to jump too far ahead. But, you know, part of the conversation around Black history is that, well, it's for Blacks, and only Blacks get to lend their voice into the conversation. And that's not the setup here. So, you know, chime in. I don't care what your skin color or ethnicity is. Chime in and let us know your thoughts about our conversation as well.
2: Well, let me get it started here and ask both of you to kind of fill this in, because I have to admit, like, Black history was not on my radar as a kid. So... When did we start having Black History Month? Like, when did that start being a thing? And what what is your kind of feelings about it as a kid growing
1: up? You want to go first? Or you want me to go?
0: Yeah, I can go. All right. Um, yeah, so Black History Month started as an official kind of recognized month in 1976. Uh, that was the first time. Before that, it was called um, Negro History Week. And uh, it was in the second week of February because that coincided with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And so uh, that's how it started. But in 1976, it became like a full month recognized by the president. And so since then, we've celebrated kind of nationally as February is Black History Month. Um, As far as a kid, um, it was just a normal thing. I mean, my entire life. Every year, February is we were just going to celebrate Black History Month at school and at church. And so um, it really wasn't a big deal or something you really thought about. It was just a normal rhythm of your life. Like, Christmas in December and February is Black History Month, and we're going to sing, lift every voice and sing. And (laughs) Um, we're going to have no programs at school and we're going to have a program at church. And so it was just a normal rhythm of life growing up in a black community.
1: Yeah, um, same, same Black History Week or Negro History Week um, was started by Carter G. Woodson. He's a historian. Yeah. And he started in 1915. And when he started Negro History Week, he did so to be able to talk about the accomplishments of black people that were not celebrated or talked about in American history, you have to think, remember 1915, you're in the middle of a lot of race issues, especially down in the South. And so, you know, the the thought that we're going to promote, you know, the accomplishments of African-Americans was on no one's radar. Um, and so Negro History Week was, was needed, but... Uh, Well, and let me answer the second point of your question. You know, what was it like? I don't, I didn't know life without black history. Like you would go home, like let's say January 31st was a Monday and February 1st was a Tuesday. You go home on January 31st as a kid, your classroom is just, it is what it is. You come in on February first. You got a black flag. You got a Nifertiti um head bust. It's red, black, and green. I mean, when you come in, somebody playing Smokey Robinson or Little Richard or some people playing music. You so it's it's a whole. You want to talk about a vibe? Like you come in and you like, oh yeah, this this mama. Like you walk in different on February first.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I. I can see the the pictures now of all of the um, Black people that were highlighted their accomplishments, yes. right? It was always Martin Luther King. Uh, it was Oprah. It was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in Alabama, so George Washington Carver was a big, big deal. Booker T. Washington was a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, we just had all these faces, Black faces all over the school of Blacks who had accomplished And Thurgood Marshall was one that was always highlighted. And so, yeah, that was just the norm. Like February was just going to be Black History Month, so
1: yeah, I um I especially loved English and poetry. So when we got to go through all, you got to talk about Langston Hughes and James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and like everybody, 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 everybody. You could talk about anybody and everybody, and then you got to learn their poems. My favorite poem was "The Negro Mother" by Langston Hughes. Like it just, yeah. Richard Wright. I'm, I'm not yeah.
0: gonna even lie and pretend. I was excited about that. Oh, I didn't. I did not care about English and poetry. Yes, <laughs> I loved it.
1: So basically,
2: it sounds like because I'm gonna. There's someone else's on the YouTube. Uh, Katie says I grew up in Fontana, California. I grew up in Covina, California, kind of adjacent. In 80s and 90s, we didn't have any of that, and I would say. This explains why when you first came to live with us and you would talk about XYZ person or historical fact in the black in in black history, I'd be like, I've never heard of that. Yes, I, I, I never shit. heard of that person. Mm-mm. I never heard of that event. I have no idea what you're talking about. Daniel Hill Williams? No. Yeah. I, I don't know who that Ooh, is. Oh you
1: Oh, let me lend out a hand. Pray for you <laughs> right now. Oh, Release her. No. no, no, So
2: it's. I mean, this makes more sense to me and gives me more context as to why this this was such a big deal for you and why you were so confused by me. Of like, how could you not know this? We never had this at our Daniel
1: Hell Williams founded the first. He was the first black man to 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 establish a hospital. Oh, really? 1891, maybe. And then he performed the first open heart surgery Wow! in 1893. Now, they didn't use no anesthesia or nothing, but, but, I mean, he was the first person to do it. And, you know, this is why I think, you know, it's so important to know that there are contributions from yeah. you know, so many different people. And,
2: yeah. and so it sounds like a lot of Black History Month was celebrating the rich culture of the African-American community, accomplishments, heroes. In, and it sounds like it include, included intellectual heroes, mm-hmm. not just sports heroes or rap stars or something. It was, you know, people who were writers, artists, entrepreneurs, philosophers. There was just a lot of accomplishments.
1: Yeah. And to Kevin's point, then in church, there was always a Black history presentation too. So I remember um, even before I you know, came into faith and started going to church, my mom's best friend had two daughters who were dancers and they went to church. And so then I got to dance in their like mm-hmm. black history production and do African dance and things like that. Yeah. Ooh, oh, black history.
2: So this is all making a lot more sense to me now of the kind of the divide between my schools out in the suburbs. Cause you and I both grew up in Southern California mm-hmm. I had never even heard of Black History Month until I was in college in the 90s. And it wasn't on my radar. It was nothing that we did. We didn't learn about Black heroes, entrepreneurs, anything of that. And so now I'm feeling like a little impoverished over here of, of all of the, the the that rich history. But
1: Girl, I'll print out some Nefertiti <laughs> bus and stuff like that. I'll have it down here for you in the morning. But um, so I'm thinking that
2: having it be more mainstream now is probably a good thing that it's out there more. So it sounds like what from both of your perspectives, you feel like there was an important contribution that Black History Month made to the educational enterprise because of these people wouldn't have otherwise been highlighted or included in the history or literature curriculum. That In the beginning, it served a good purpose.
1: I would say, yes, um, that I'm, I'm starting to say that black history is American history. And so if black history is American history, I, I don't I think that, yes, these these names should also be included. They're important names that help to um, structure American history. And so, you know, why would we leave these names out? Why would I only promote one side of of history? What are your thoughts, Kevin?
0: No, I mean, I agree. Um, It was just such a normal part. It was just, it was part of the culture, right? It didn't seem like it was some big deal or thing you were doing. It was just, you know, a fish in water. We didn't know any different because that was, you know, all we ever known was Black History Month was going to be in February, or we didn't think we were doing something special or like these names wouldn't be known if we didn't, that just wasn't it. It was just the normal cultural experience. We didn't know anybody wasn't doing Black History Month kind of deal, you know? So the fact that Crystal, you said that y'all didn't do any of this or you didn't even know about it. That's like crazy to me because like I said, that was just the culture. I totally
2: thought it was invented in the nineties.
0: Black history? Yeah. (laughs)
2: I thought it was it was like something that was invented in the early 90s because that was the first time I ever heard of it hmm. was when I was a student at Biola, and I was like, Black history? What is that? Never heard of this. I totally thought it was invented in the 90s. Yeah, no,
1: 1915. I, and so then... Um, I'm learning. Yeah, the president, and I don't remember if... Um, it, it was Ford. It might have been Ford.
0: In, in 76.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. When... When he decided to, you know, make it a whole month. And um, I think it might've been some partnership with like the NAACP that, you know, it made it an entire month under his presidency. That's when, yeah, but it's been around, it's been around for a So what
2: evolution do you think Black History Month has undergone in recent years? You know, cause I, it, it doesn't sound completely like what well, you guys experienced as as children. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are about how how it's evolving um even in recent years.
1: Go ahead, Kev.
0: Yeah. So kind of what I grew up with is kind of the original intent, which was to highlight the achievements of black people that was not getting mentioned in mainstream um uh media or history books kind of deal. Um and, and so from that point it was a very good thing and it was successful. It 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 had a it had an upbeat feel to it. Today I don't necessarily feel that Black History Month has an upbeat or uplifting spirit about it. It it almost seems like um we are made to remember the bad times and the struggle. We can't forget the struggle. Um, It's just not about highlighting achievements. It's about not forgetting the struggle. It seems like it's transitioned to that for me. Um, And it kind of just reinforces um, the fact that we are other. We're not fully... American. We're not fully accepted. We are something that is separate and we have to constantly remember that and remind ourselves of that. And so um, that's the feeling I get from Black History Month today instead of this kind of uplifting time. And it's and it's different because we celebrate other cultures throughout the calendar year. You know, we, we got single to Mayo and nobody makes a big deal or think about that. We've got St. Patrick's Day, and nobody makes like, oh, why are we celebrating the Irish or anything like that? But with Black History Month, it has a different feel to it. And it is because, I'll play this, I would almost prefer to have a Black Heritage Day where we just kind of had cookouts and wore Family Reunion t-shirts, right? And we celebrated something, uh, as opposed to almost kind of re and rehashing the past and grievances, and uh singing old Negro spirituals, and you know, it, it just it just doesn't have the same feel to it that that it used to have. What are your thoughts, Mo?
1: I agree. I I was laughing because he said if we could just wear family reunion T shirts, we do like some T shirts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Boy, I'm saying like just celebrate it, like some yes. great aspect of like Black culture that.
1: Have a big
0: big cookout. I
1: I think that growing up, black history, for me anyway, did include pieces of the struggle. Like we were always taught about slavery. We always remember slavery. We always um, sang the black national anthem. We always remember, like remember to talk about Jim Crow and things like that. But it was always so much more than that. We were always encouraged to be more than that even if you lived in a nation that, didn't like you or a nation where you were, you know, stolen from your motherland and brought here, you could still rise above the, the soil or the ash that you might have come from today I agree with you Kevin that it, it's all focused on on the struggle and that you are constantly in a struggle don't forget that they're always going to keep you down like black history is it's it's like a struggle narrative instead of this overcoming narrative that it once used to be
0: that is a great way to put it struggle versus overcoming that's what I was trying to say is because it used to be very uplifting and I think because we were kids they were always trying to inspire us to achieve and to do more and to go out. And um, now it just seems more about identity. They want people to have a certain pride and identity. And not saying that that wasn't a thing back then, but that seems to be the focal point. Not necessarily achievement, not necessarily um, kind of inspiring. It's simply more so about identity. And I think that that What you, the way you put it, you know, um, struggle versus overcoming, I think is the big key as kind of what, what really is the difference in the field between kind of what I grew up with versus the way I feel things now, especially when it's Black History Month and it's like, oh, let's highlight Black Lives Matter. You know, I was just about to say that, you know, Mm. it's political, it is Mm. activist, it's just, it's just not the same. It's just not the
1: same. It's not. Black um, BLM and the 1619 Project don't represent Black history. Mm. Like, it, it, it just doesn't.
2: That wasn't what it looked like when you were growing up.
1: That, isn't what it, that wasn't what it looked like when we were growing up, but it also isn't a reflection of Black history. Like, period. Like, black history is not just a struggle narrative. Like, oh, we need to spend the next 28 days really highlighting black people because, you know, these are the downtrodden, oppressed, marginalized people who are never going to make it out. Like, so now here, let me throw you a month so that you can feel better about yourself. Like, that isn't that isn't what black history has been. And then to have a revisionist history that excludes, you know, any. Achievement by somebody who might not have been black like this. That isn't black history. Well, when, let's
2: talk about that a mm-hmm. little bit, because I think there's a common misconception right now floating around. And we get this a lot when we're out on the road is the 1619 Project, BLM, critical race theory all put forward this idea of revisionist history. Maybe talk for, for a, just a minute of what revisionist history is within the context of critical race theory. Um, and then then I want to talk about kind of our approach to that. But first talk to us about what is revisionist history? What is that?
1: So I would say in the most simple lay terms, revisionist history is just the history from the other side, but it doesn't. It, so let's say that the current narrative is that all of American history is white history revisionist history comes in and offers you the history from the black perspective. This is what Or the it, oppressed. Yeah, from through the oppressed lens. When I when I say black, it's usually the lens of the marginalized or the oppressed. And so they're giving you a different history or a history through that lens. So how how was the how was World War 1? Through the black lens. It's going to be a revision of the history that you already have been taught. But so then you're
2: leaving out any achievements from anyone else from from anyone else that doesn't belong
1: to the category of the oppressed. But when we talk
2: about and and not just
0: and not just achievements, perspectives, Mm -hmm. which is key when we're talking about history. Yes. Right.
1: So when we look at things like the 1619 Project, though, it's not all accurate history. And so this is this is where I feel like the the revisionist history comes into play in regards to critical race theory in that it pulls a lot on this narrative tenet and looks at how can we tell a story that really pulls at your heart instead of giving you the true data behind a matter. Because blacks were a part of, you know, different wars. And there is a a there is data and information that we can gather from the war and interviews that can be done, but we don't need to participate in a, this is the black lens. This is the the perspective only of this group.
2: So a common misconception that's out there though is that when people oppose teaching critical race theory, what they're opposing is um, any representation of Black history, it's just scrubbing it free of Black history, but that's that's not actually um, the reason we need critical race theory. We don't need critical race theory in order to teach Black history. No, with Black history
1: is, is, American is, history is American history, yeah.
2: and so when people are like, "No, we crit- we need critical race theory," otherwise we won't be able to teach black history. That's not, that's not true. No,
1: you need a informed teacher. You need a teacher who understands history. Okay. Period. So
0: critical critical race theory has nothing to do with history. That's what I tell people all the time. Stop buying the narrative that, Oh, we remove critical race theory. We're removing black history. It has nothing to do with black history. Black history was taught long before Mm -hmm. critical race theory existed. Right. And so, um, I think it's, it's key that people realize that that critical race theory is about certain presuppositions of thought and, and a certain ideology and seeing history through the lens of that particular ideology. It is a single narrative uh, view of looking at history. And that's what critical race theory is. And it might not be accurate, but because it is... Um, Kind of what we call, you know, postmodern, where the, it's all about the narrative and the perspective, then it's it's put off as if it's historical and true and accurate, when reality it is simply trying to tell a different story, looking through a different particular lens, whether it is factual or not, because perspective is truth, whether it's objectively true or not. And so and, and from their mindset. And so that's what people kind of get it mixed up with, is. It's, it's not it. Play like this. Critical race theory is not a tool of a historian. It is a tool of a sociologist and an activist.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? So, Somebody so who's it, just doing his, historical analysis would not use critical race theory.
2: So I want to say like a clear word to all the precious older black friends of the ministry, because we talked to them on the road. And one of the things that they're very nervous about People who lived through the civil rights era, they've been told that that unless you advocate for critical race theory, black history will be erased. And I want to say very clearly to those precious brothers and sisters who are of that generation that we don't need critical race theory in order to teach black history. In fact, critical race theory is an is an obstacle to teaching accurate black history, would you guys say that that's fair
1: I would I would I would say that it it yeah yeah but
2: but you There's know stuff. about this when we've been on the road these these people mm-hmm. from that generation, this is their number one concern, and they
1: have especially in the south yeah, especially and they've been, been told
2: the this that critical race theory and teaching black history are the same thing, so yep. trying to help people decouple though that is very important. What were you
1: going to say, Kevin?
0: Yeah, because it's really what they've been taught. It's yeah. what's on. It's, it's what's on MSNBC. It's what's on CNN. It's what's in the Root. It's what's on in the Atlantic, the New York Times. They're all tell, saying the same thing. Like, I mean, Don Lemon on CNN has said it. Like, it's almost if we if we attack critical race theory, we get critical race theory out of schools, then we're getting Black history out of school, and it's just not true. I mean, I have progressive friends that hit me up and tell me that same thing. And when I go and look up whatever it is they're talking about, it's like, I just found the whole list of books they want to get rid of. That's not black history. Like, it's just I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying before against getting rid of books, but this idea that these groups that are listing certain books they want to get rid of. And if therefore that's some type of way of getting rid of black history, it's like, man, there's so much black history out that you can teach. You don't need those books to teach black history. I don't need the, You don't need the 1619 project to teach black history. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't need the new Jim Crow to teach black right. oh. history. Those that That's not black history. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah. OK, now with that under our belts, now I want to flip, flip it over and look at the positive side of um, our position. I love how Monique says this is black history is American history. Like what what could a world be where. We're embedding it in a in an organic way together to tell the full story of our country. And that is the position that we advocate for at the uh, um, Center for Biblical Unity. I almost said the previous ministry I worked for. Uh, so I know it's only been a year and a half. You feeling okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but our position is, that to that black history is a, a big component of the American story mm-hmm. and that it should organically be all together um and to teach the fullest account possible of uh, both the the highs and the lows um the noble ideals on which our country is founded and the times when we didn't live up to those ideals and then the times when we overcame i think all of that has to be
1: in there well looking from a biblical perspective I tend to say and I, I'm sure you guys have heard it heard me say it before that when you look at Israel in the in the Bible we see Israel as a prize and we also see her as a prostitute now I have lived in other countries and and have traveled I've lived in, an, in another country and've traveled to other countries and there is no place like America I love America and yet America has her issues. She has a lot of issues um, in her past and in her present. And so when we look at America, we should be able to look at America as a prize and as a prostitute. I can look at her highlights. I can look at her accomplishments and the people who have accomplished great things as American citizens. And I can also look at the times when America has not shown up well for its own citizens. In fact, where um, the times where America has turned its back on its citizens. And so that is though part of living in a fallen world living in a nation that has been founded by sinful humans and we can talk about that. I think that's a, a more biblical approach than trying to extrapolate out a group of people and now we just kind of center on them for just one month out of the well you get these 28 days where we can
0: talk about you
1: like, and we I mean, always get, yeah. and,
0: while, and while we get the shortest month of the year. That's, that's, what, that's what people used to say. <laughs> even, so, even, now, even that's a conspiracy. You know it is.
2: So I know we have a lot of homeschool families watching. We've got Christian school teachers watching, Christian school administrators, parents with kids in Christian schools. If 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 Kevin and Monique ruled the world and were writing a curriculum, the way that you guys would write it, I think what I hear you saying is, you know, teach it as an organic whole of teaching the child about our, our history as a country or as a state or wherever we are. And that we can focus on the contributions of everybody who, who has made contributions. And if, if someone is feeling like, oh, I, I don't know who the, the, black intellectuals are all I ever hear about is MLK and Malcolm X and W.E. Dubois, you know, like, well, even that American, uh, American black history is a lot bigger than, than just those people. Um,
1: I mean, what do you do with an American timeline? Yeah. So you, you're as a history teacher, here's the American timeline. You leave all, you leave out all the black people until you get to February. And then you try to put them all in that timeline. Yeah. So now I have to cover everything from the 1600s until 1982 in one month. But I have a whole timeline, a whole year. Like, why wouldn't we insert people in where they belong? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that's been my stance. Like, if you're doing American history and you're in the 1920s, talk about the Harlem Renaissance. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. Just talk about these things as you're talking about key events and key people of that time period. That and and it's not that difficult.
2: Just just weave it into to what Leave you're already in. doing. So, you know, maybe there's a concentration on a certain part, but you're not trying to cram in all of black history in one month. You're showing the child the fullest picture of history throughout the whole year. So okay. Um lots of great in comments uh coming in. Um people are really enjoying the conversation. Um I'm gonna Uh, kind of change gears here a little bit because I want to get into kind of the Christian worldview component of all of this and talk a little bit about some of your wrestling, Monique, of how you've been thinking about it specifically from a Christian point of view. um, we, We talk to a lot of ministries, churches, Christian schools. What are some of your questions or concerns that have been coming up for you within the Christian context about celebrating Black History Month?
1: I don't know that I've had any comments from outsiders. I think this has all just been a wrestling within me. Oh, no, we've had
2: comments on social media about it. Two years ago. About? About why are you celebrating?
1: Oh, you know what? I don't, I feel like in this, this might be the bad way of putting it, but I don't, I'm not really moved by a lot of like, it doesn't, I have to feel convicted. Like, I know. And so I'm, I don't, yeah, I really don't even remember. If someone wrote in and said, why are you celebrating black history? I apologize. Maybe your um your note has now had an impact on my heart. <laughs> um, but I think starting out, I wanted to celebrate black history because there were, in my mind, I thought um th- that there were a lot of people that, a lot of blacks that people didn't know about. And so I wanted to make sure that we highlighted those achievements. Um, I think I was coming to the conversation with a belief that within the church, again, through this lens of more of the racial reconciliation, social justice lens that we need to have all the people at the table. If we're going to look at history in the church, we need to make sure that we look at black history. I think my position's changed in the last two and a half years. And so when we look at history today, um, I don't I'm not so sure I'm not convinced anymore that, you know, just extrapolating out this one group and propelling them to the top for this one month when no other group gets a month. I think Kevin hit on it like you might get a day here, you have a day there, um, but there aren't any other groups that, you know, we just highlight for a month. And usually on things like Cinco de Mayo, you might hear a little lecture here or like a, the teacher might do something in class or something like that, but it's not the in-depth learning that we get about black history. So for me, when looking at the conversation of what does this mean in the church, I've started to feel like maybe this is partiality. Maybe we're participating with one group in a way that we would never participate with another group. And maybe we've come to so expect this that we don't even realize that it is partiality. It's just the way that we do everyday life.
2: Uh, do
0: you, Kevin, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, my, my thought was, what other secular kind of idea do we celebrate in the church? Like, if a church was celebrating the 4th of July, we we frown upon that. We was like, that's not the place for that. Not that there's anything wrong with the 4th of July, but it just has no place in God's house, right? Um, to me, Black history is the same thing, because it's not like... It would be one thing if black history was a celebration of God's deliverance or something you know but just trying to highlight black achievements in the church why that it's just that's not the place for it um and so that that's kind of my my take on it is treat it like you would treat any other secular holiday or event and question yourself is this does this belong in the church you know and so that's that's kind of where I sit on it.
1: So, I think, okay. I was also going to say, I think that when we look at it in the church context, I've started to feel like we aren't being honest with what black history is because black history truly is a hodgepodge of different ethnic groups. Like when um, Carter G. Woodson started Black History Week, he did it because it had um Abraham Lincoln, I want to say Frederick Douglass's birthdays in the same week. And so you have a white person who's being celebrated as part of Negro History Week. So if if it was founded with that in mind that this other person outside of the African American, you know, ethnicity is also able to be highlighted. We have so shifted that now that it's almost the exclusion of anyone who is white. I don't know that that's true to African-American history. That doesn't include abolitionists. That doesn't include any white person who um, helped with in the civil rights movement or helped to end Jim Crow or things like that. And even other ethnic groups that are very little spoken of.
2: Yeah, I think, One of the things that um, we had a conversation, I don't know if you remember this or not, but our friend Marcus, who is a diversity officer at a nearby Christian college here, and he he was bringing up the question in the context of a Christian college Mm -hmm. environment of should we be celebrating Black history at a Christian college without giving equal time to all the other ethnic groups like are we going to have jewish history are we going to have northern european history eastern european history um you know the Here's what I truly, truly I um, don't know
1: why Siri decided to talk
2: yeah Sorry. um you know asian history for for a month but even among Asians like to think that korean culture is exactly the same as chinese culture is to conflate you know two massive groups. And so Marcus brought this up once at a meeting w- with him and, and I thought, well, this is a very interesting question because he, he was raising the question of in the Christian college context. Um, what is, is this a form of partiality if we're not going to give every group equal time? And w- you know, is there a better strategy? And I don't know what what thoughts you guys have about that. I hear Kevin about the church context, but I'm yeah, wondering about yeah. school context. I would right,
0: Kevin, I, I would kind of ask that same Christian college, would they do affirmative action? Because that is a form of partiality. And I believe the way Black history was, it's kind of like the same need. Well, no, Blacks have been left out, so we need to make sure we are intentional in including them, right? And so it's like this whole month. Kind of like affirmative action. Blacks have been excluded, so we need to be intentional, t- intentional with certain numbers and making sure they're included. But yeah, it is a it is a form of partiality. You're you're showing uh, deference to one group that you do not show to any other group. Um, and so, from from that perspective, I would have some questions if I was a Christian college about. It's not that Black History Month is wrong. It is simply a uh, a question of are we treating everyone the same right and so from that perspective i i i I think his questions were valid and his concerns were valid because it's one of those things of you just never really think of because like i said it's something that was just the norm and so with that um being at that with that question being brought up now and just really kind of thinking through it i do believe it, it is a form of partiality
2: and, and just to make a really quick clarification, like t- teaching American history or the history of our country in an educational context, I can see, you know, the ideal of embedding that like throughout the whole year, mm-hmm. you know, yes. because it's telling the history of our country. But when we come into a Christian context, you know, are we having special celebrations, special highlights just for one group? in the Christian context. That's where I think the issue of partiality really comes in. It
1: is. Um Lisa Robinson Spencer's on here. Oh, God. Um she said Perfect that person. there's actually um Hispanic Heritage Month that highlights that highlights the accomplishments of Latinos. And so I I actually didn't know about that. Um
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if that's I mean, Nobody a,
0: nobody it's not a, made a big deal of but it's on the calendar. Hmm. You know,
1: it's very interesting, Um, but I still think within the church that it's it is a form of partiality. Like even if you have Hispanic Heritage Month within the church, I feel like there's a there's this playing of we do this for this group and we do that for that group. But are we going to do all of that for all the groups? Like, how do we how do we level it so that. It's not partiality, one. But then, two, I also feel like when we come into the house of the Lord, we are here to celebrate Jesus. And I, I, in my experience of how black history has taken place within the church context, it's been this time that happens during the worship service. It happens either during the preaching, the pastors given a black history message all of the, you know, youth displays and all of that happened during the worship time. And so at that point, I, I, it still rubs me a bit of a wrong way. Now,
2: lest people think that we are disparaging cultural differences, I want to make kind of a quick theological point, And that is that we see issues of culture and ethnicity as being issues of providence. And that this is about um, not our primary identity. Our primary identity is um, our creation identity. We're created in the image of God. If we're Christians, we have the additional identity as being a child of God and being in members of God's household. But another identity that is very real is these issues of providence, of my family heritage, um, the country I'm from, you know. Maybe um, whether or not I'm an immigrant or whether or not my family uh, came to a particular country through slavery, Um, issues of ethnicity or um, cultural practices, language, all of these things about where I am born in a time and a place is what we call in Christian theology um, issues of providence. God created me in my mother's womb and put me in a time and in a place, in a family where I would grow up. And all of those things are also part of what makes me unique and makes me, me. And so when we think about issues of providence, I, th- I think that Monique and I have had many conversations about this. I I can see a a warrant, um, for having fun and celebrating those cultural expressions, those family things, um, and uh, I don't see anything sinful about that or harmful. Um, and enjoying the food and enjoying sometimes unique holidays from our country of origin or that kind of a thing. All of those things fall under issues of providence. But when we come together as God's family in the household of faith, this is where the kind of the messy tension is because part of God's great plan is to create a family from the nations. So we're going to, when we gather with God's people intrinsically, there's the potential to be from many different backgrounds. And the question is, I think that we're asking here is, what is the appropriateness of those celebrations in ethnic groups when we're in the household of faith?
1: I honestly, and Kevin, you can tell me if, you know, I think I'm wrong, but I think a better approach, if if we are gonna do it in church, would definitely not to do it, not be to do it during the middle of the worship service. Um, and not to take away from the the proclamation of scripture and the word and worship. Um, but if you're gonna do it, do it on a different night or do it um or a different day, do it at a night function on a Sunday or something like that, and then have everybody join. Like, you know, it can be some kind of cultural heritage day. Um But would
2: everybody be able to participate in that?
1: Yeah. Why not? Like, I, I I just say, yes, like you can, we can learn about each other. You might have to do it. If you have a, you know, a bigger church, you might need to do it a couple of times a year, but you can all share within the rich cultures that come into the King God, you know, that, that make up the kingdom of God within your community. Now, I think if your, I don't know, your homeschool co-op, or whatever wants to do a, a week on black history and a week on Asian American history and a week on this and a week on that, you know, do you, but when we, when we talk about like a Christian institution, um, like to me, a university campus or a church context or even a, a Christian school, I think it would be better to do something where everyone celebrated, um, especially because it represents so many different, ethnicity I don't know that's kind of my thoughts. What do you think Kevin?
0: Yeah, um I think that this becomes an issue when because all those things are great things. I love culture. I love food, right uh I love the way different people you know celebrate their cultures. what the problem it becomes in the human heart and the reason we even have this discussion because these things become a matter of pride, right? Um, it's not simply a celebration of God's creation and his created beauty and culture It is we, we take pride in whatever, whatever our culture is. Right. And we put that against others, whether it was, you know, white supremacy or whether it's black pride and black is beautiful. Right. Uh, it's it's like, a, it's a, it becomes like the struggle against one another. And so, I would question why do we even bring these things up in the church? Right? In the Christian context, they shouldn't even matter. Right? We are one new race. We are in Christ. And it's not to say that culture isn't beautiful or important, but because these things can become matters of pride and because these things can be so divisive and historically have been divisive, and even the reason we're celebrating them is because of the previous divisiveness, then trying to bring it into the church and celebrate it and you're making it messy instead of leaving it at the door and coming together as one in Christ. Right. And so that's, that's, that's the issue. I think we're trying to um, just kind of wrestle with something and bring it into a Christian context and into the church that ultimately isn't even something we um, are even called to. Right. It's it's, it's like, why even place the burden on ourselves of trying to acknowledge this group and that group and make it. That's not what we're there for. Right. It is not even about us. It's about Christ. It is about him. We come together to worship and honor the Lord. So let's do that. If you want to go out in the streets and celebrate whatever cultural history and go do that. But when we come together, we leave those things at the door. Because we are one. Uh, we're not black. We're not white. We're not Asian. We're not, we are Christ, right? Um as Paul said, you died. <laughs> you died, and your life is now in Christ. And yeah. so that is what we should be celebrating and thinking about when we come together, not our differences and highlighting. And that was one of the issues with the woke movement in the church that was saying we need to highlight black authors, we need to highlight black things and this, like, no. No, you're 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 matters of pride, and you're completely off what we're called to be doing, right? I, the
2: one place I could maybe see for it is if it was in the context of the Great Commission, like if we were going to celebrate how the gospel has gone out into all the earth, and maybe we want to celebrate great missionaries or yes. people who highlight people in our Christian history who have made accomplishments in doing bringing the gospel to new frontiers. And maybe we want to come together once a year and everybody brings food from their cultural heritage to share with everybody else. And it's a big international potluck. And then we have maybe an educational time of, of, of how the gospel has gone out into all the world. And that would then we're getting the focus back on Christ. Yes. We're still sharing and acknowledging that we come from different contexts and different cultures, but we're doing it through the lens of Christ rather than trying to bootstrap some kind of weird Christian version of all of this, these ethnic days. I don't know. To me, that's, that's a vision that I think Christian schools could do churches could do if they wanted to have some kind of truly multicultural celebration in the great commission sense i don't know what do you guys think about that
1: um lisa put something on here that um i think i have and i still like i haven't landed i tell y'all i'm wrestling through this but she goes um but highlighting different cultures helps us to understand each other we don't worship in a monocultural way and i say a hearty yes and amen to that and i think this is why i have pushed for the celebration of black history within churches and in like at Biola and what do we do with Black History Month there and things like that when I was there? It's because the church isn't just a monocultural you know what you know what I mean entity we have all of these different cultures and I think for a long time my fear was that well if if we don't celebrate black history and black culture within the church then you know we're going to miss it we're gonna lose it i'll lose my a piece of my culture and what is important to me about my culture like that but i completely hear kevin's point too of you know when we when you step into the church there is no jew no gentile um from a cultural from, standpoint from, yeah from we're a not going to
2: accentuate that mm-hmm. like Bodhi said when he came on our show he says i don't stop being african-american it's just that takes that culture takes a back seat To my identity in
1: Christ. Yes. And so this is, I think, where I'm landing with the, you know, no, I I love culture. I love to, you know, eat different foods, learn different dances, sing different songs and languages and things like that. But when we come into the body of Christ. That that it has to look different. It can't look like the world's way of doing it. And it it certainly can't present itself as partiality in the idea that, well, we only highlight these one or two groups because this is what the culture has informed us to do. The church adopted Black History Month because that's what the culture told it to do.
0: You know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah. And, and, and I'll give an example about culture and church. So when I became a serious Bible reading, theologically informed Christian, and I became reformed. And I started looking for a church that was preaching expositionally, like preaching the word, What, what did the word say? I didn't care about the culture of the church. I just wanted the word of God preached, right? And so I left my familiar cultural context and went and joined somewhere where the word of God was being preached, taught and lived out. The culture didn't matter we we when we el- when we make the culture uh and elevate the culture to this level we make it an idol and that's that's my issue is that these different cultures even american culture can be an idol like generic okay. american culture right it's just one of those things of, of hold it loosely and 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 cuz it 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 will turn into is it, my culture being represented right, right. and it mm-hmm. just it just causes divisions yeah um But I do agree um, what you were saying, Chris, about how it could look if we celebrate in that way. That's kind of been my position on flags in the church. So I know certain churches, they have flags that represent places where they've sent missionaries or places they're praying for or things like that. Um, Because, you know, it's a whole controversy about, you know, having an American flag in the church and all that kind of stuff. But some churches have flags that represent missionaries and mission goals and things like that if it's gospel and christ-centered then yes by all means do it but if it's simply prideful cultural heritage using christianity with something else like christ doesn't share his throne with anyone or anything if there's something else competing for it throw it away you know And I believe this issue of culture has gotten to that point where we have become idolaters of culture. And it's, it's a sense of pride. Even 1976, why did it become a big deal in 1976? Well, you got the black conscious movement, you got the black pride movement, you got all of these things that like we need to highlight black people. And it's just pride. And it's just one of those things that as Christians, we need to be weary. And aware of our hearts and what we take pride in and find our identity in because those things cause major divisions among us which should not be and so i would just leave it at that and i will say lisa is the perfect person because i love what she does with, with uh-huh. her i love what they do with just highlighting other cultures and and uh, i think that's a great thing but Like I said, we just need to be careful as Christians, especially when it comes to in the church of trying to focus so much on culture.
2: I I love uh, Elaine's comment here on YouTube. She says that her church has an all nations heritage Sunday where they sing other songs from other cultures. And I mean, to me, that's the way to go with this in mm-hmm. in the Christian context. I'll give
0: an example I'll give an example in my church in Georgia. We had people who were Hispanic. So some songs if we could we would sing a verse in Spanish. Right? Those are things you can do to highlight different cultures. Um and so it, it's ways to do it. Just make sure it's Christ centered and Christ honoring and that's the point of it and not yeah, yeah. simply glorifying ourselves and trying to make... It, it can't be about our pride. It can't be about our self-esteem. It can't be about any of that. It has to be about honoring Christ and honoring God. Yeah.
2: Alright, we're going to close out here with a few resources. My resource is the 1776 Unites curriculum. They're doing some great work over there. Go check out our friends uh, from the Woodson Center at 70, 70, 1776 Unites. They have curriculum available and Um, doing a lot of the things that we've talked about here tonight. And I think, to me, the answer to the question of, well, every other day is White History Day, and that's why we need Black History Month, is to do what we talked about earlier, and that is to embed these histories, um, rather than just having it be focused on one month, embedding it naturally as American history, Throughout the year. So
1: and to get away from that lie that it's white history. History is history. Like, nobody can monopolize, like, well, I got the monopoly on history. No, history is history. Everybody participates in history. And so when we come to the table with this idea, well, that's just white history, we're playing into it anyway. Stop playing into the narrative that, well, this is white history and that's black history. No, we are Americans. We're Americans together. And this is a part of American history.
2: Okay. Kevin's got a couple of recommendations here. Why don't you tell us about those?
0: Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, before the Mayflower, which is what I had in the background here. Yeah. There we go. Before the Mayflower. It is a great history book. There we go. Um. If you just want to know history and going back, I mean, they start back in Africa before the slave trade and and comes up and it was revised in 1993. It is a great history book. If you just want to know from a historical perspective, black history. Um, The other one that, that I recommended was the birth of black America and the fight for freedom from Jamestown. This was also, this is probably one of my favorite books I've ever read. Um, Because it does a great job. It's it's three settings. You have the political setting that's going on in England. You have the uh, Portuguese Congo war that's happening. And then you have these uh, settlers in Jamestown that are all struggling to survive at the same time. And so how all these things play out to where this uh, uh, slave ship of first, you know, african-american slaves black slaves ended up in jamestown it's an incredible story and how that led to um just kind of the uh kind of the evolution of the 13 colonies because the virginia company who started jamestown which is why it ended up being called the state of virginia uh basically had a, a a stranglehold on the east coast and because of this controversy over stealing this slave ship pirating this slave ship uh their company got broken up, and it kind of made it for every people. All the people could come and settle in the eastern coast of what we now call the United States. And so, it is a great history of learning how all of that went down, all the moving parts from King James to. It, it is a phenomenal book that just keeps you really interested because there's it, the setting of it keeps changing. You're seeing the providence of God working, and how this thing is all played out, and so. It is. I, I highly recommend that book.
2: Very good. All right, Kevin, thank you for helping us. Yes,
0: absolutely. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> and uh, we got to get back on off code. We got to get back on off code. Um,
1: yeah. When I'm done with these 75 papers <laughs> and my 75 papers are due by Wednesday. So <laughs> pray for me. Yes, absolutely. but we we will we'll get on off code. We will.
2: All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. We'll see, ya. Right. see you later. Good night. All right. The one and only Kevin Briggins, ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Off Code. And uh, it is a podcast about Black community.
1: Yeah. It's looking at um, issues that impact the Black community from a historically Christian perspective. And so we are, we're currently on hiatus. Go and catch up on shows you may have missed. And we will be recording and getting back into off code soon.
2: All right. With that, we're going to hear from our friends at impact 360, and then we're going to come back with the big tweet
3: of the week. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back along the way. We will face obstacles and challenges but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be, to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms. Discover how to be and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling and authentic community cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit empowered kingdom influence all right
2: right. go check out our friends at impact 360 and if you would like help with discipleship of your kids they have a one-week and two-week summer camp program for high schoolers, as well as nine-month gap study, gap year program for college.
1: Yes, prepare your kids now for the world. and um, They'll encounter when they are adults. Now is the time to start. That's right. All
2: right. We also want to take a quick minute to tell you about our friends at Birmingham Theological Seminary, which we found because of our friend Kevin Briggins.
1: Yes, we did find Birmingham Theological Seminary because of Kevin Briggins. I'm kind of mad at him about that right now because now I have 75 papers to do. So if you
2: would like to find out more about the good work that they're doing at BTS, find out about biblically faithful and highly, highly affordable theological education. Without the need to relocate, you can participate in live classes, both in person if you're in Birmingham. They have intensives sometimes, but always on Zoom plus 90% of their faculty are also pastors or ministry professionals. Go check out their good work at bts.education. Yeah. All right. And now it's time for the tweet uh, of the week. The, week.
0: the tweet
2: The, the official voice of the tweet of the week is the one and only Bob BonTrager. You can call him now for voiceover work. You can. Um all right, so we've got this tweet. This was discovered by the uh, um the, what are you The Emily. The Emily. I was just my Let's brain go. was stuck. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't know what happened?
2: Um, this, is, this is a tweet from Emily BonTrager from AOC. So this is a response. We do not
1: support her or endorse her. (laughs) Do not see this as a message of support or endorsement.
2: That's right. So uh, there was a apparently um, Super Bowl ad of the He Gets Us campaign. Yeah. And uh, this was AOC's response to that Super Bowl ad. Something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism
1: look benign. You yeah. know, what, what do you think she's saying here? I don't want your Jesus. She don't want my Jesus. I, I think that that's what it summed up to. I've seen a lot of people complaining about the Super Bowl ads that, um, that he gets Us campaign did. They spent like twenty billion, twenty million, not billion, 20, <laughs> with an M $20 million on, um, airtime for the Super Bowl camp for the Super Bowl ads. And the overall. Thought, um, or, feel that I can gather from many of the people that I follow on Twitter who are secular is that this one, this social justice, Jesus, isn't the real Jesus. And that even if it was, they didn't want it. Like they they don't like want Like they,
2: they can kind of see through the yeah, campaign. Like, like, like this, this isn't. Yeah, this isn't real.
1: Yeah, like you're trying to present something to us that actually isn't what you're saying. And so one of the- Like a bait and switch? Like a bait and switch. Like one of the people that I was watching, I think I want to say it was Young Turks. And they talked about the fact that Hobby Lobby is um, a major funder for the He Gets Us campaign. And the fact that Hobby Lobby is not pro-LGBTQ+, they also are not pro-abortion. And so it's like, well- when we accept this jesus that that gets us is he then going to turn us away because we're still queer we're still part of this lifestyle we still have our abortions like no it's a bait and switch and you you're making jesus seem like he's for everyone Like, some
2: kind of social justice warrior
1: that yeah that that he's and hear me out yes jesus is inclusive but jesus is also very exclusive Christianity itself is inclusive and yet still very exclusive.
2: Inclusive in the sense that everyone's invited.
1: Come on, anybody can come on in. But you also must understand, like the the good news that a way has been made. Good news. The good news is Jesus. But there's also some pretty heavy news there as well. The heavy news is that you're going to have to leave behind some things to follow Jesus. And so that's the exclusive. That's the exclusivity of Christianity. And so a lot of what I've seen and heard is um, that there's this feel of a bait and switch because you're inviting me to this party. You're inviting me to this, this God who gets me, but does he really, because he's going to ask me to change.
2: And they can kind of see through that. um, I think is your point, which is an interesting point. Uh, AOC, I think is, is kind of highlighting that, that, they see through this campaign. Um, they see that this isn't real. This this isn't really what it appears. To be. And I think the bottom line is what you said earlier in the week is, when are we just going to accept that the world doesn't want
1: our Jesus? Yeah, they just they they don't. And and we shouldn't expect without the power of the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be expecting that people will flock. That culture will flock to to Jesus. Kevin brings up a good point. He says he also Jesus also wouldn't spend millions of dollars making child sacrifice look benign.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's that. You know, so but I, I yeah, the he gets his campaign I'm just going to leave it there. Check out Natasha Crane's article. Yeah, on, it went um, viral
2: after the Super Bowl. It crashed yeah, her website.
1: <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's a really good article. Um, on the He Gets Us thing. On the He Gets Us campaign. But I think looking at it from trying to look at the He Gets Us campaign from culture's perspective and not just our like historic Christian lens from from the cultural side of it, the pay, more pagan side of it. They don't want it. They don't want it. It, it might sound nice. It might be, you know, ooh, and yeah, come on in. But in reality, there there is truth to what they're saying. When you come in, there is a way of living according to the laws and and, and commands of God. And so if they don't want that, then what do you do?
2: So Jenny's Get Inky With It on YouTube says, uh, this is kind of a good summary of what you were saying, Monique, seems to me Christianity is an open party where everyone's welcome to come. That's the inclusive part of it, but there's a price to pay to stay at the party, which is repenting of your.
1: That's the repenting of your exclusive part. And and that, that when you turn, you're actually going to walk in, in that newness, you're going to walk, you're going to fight for that newness. And so, yeah, it is a different way of life. And so, AOC's comment doesn't surprise me. What are your thoughts in light of um, her comments on fascism and our our show that we just did a couple weeks ago? On fascism?
2: Yeah, I, I'm glad you circled back to that because I wanted to bring that point up, too, is definitely go check out our conversation with uh, Carl Truman about fascism. And this is this would have been a great tweet two weeks ago because I was trying to find tweets to um show on the show that just how widespread this, this word fascism Mm -hmm. has become. And it's really become synonymous Um, right now. I think for conservatism, I think the trajectory I'm not as um, optimistic as our friend, uh, Dr. Carl Truman is, but I think that eventually where it's going to migrate to is that Christians will be the equivalent of fascists. And I think that this tweet is an indication of that trajectory. I I think that's where this is going. I know Carl Truman feels, you know, a little bit more hopeful about the stability of our democratic institutions will outlast this kind of foolishness. I, I'm not as convinced. We'll see who's right. Time will tell.
1: Yeah. And then it'll be history. It'll be history. That's American history.
2: (laughs) Oh boy. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us. We do hope you'll share this with your Christian school and, um, I think it's going to be a great resource of a different way to think about and talk about black history month. And um, it's been great to be with you. We will not be back until March the 18th. But at that time, our friend Doug Gertis is going to be on. He couldn't yeah, make so it tonight uh, live. And so we decided we wanted to do him live and not pre-taped. So we moved him to March. So that's why we did the black what history are we thing about with him? Uh, tonight. So, on March 18th, we will do a conversation on standpoint epistemology. What is it? I think, and I don't hear a lot of people saying this, so it's just my opinion. Just a woman on a tiny corner of the internet. Uh, but I, in my opinion, standpoint epistemology is the biggest threat to historic Christianity that is out there right now. Um and I think that it's very—it's a complicated idea. It's difficult to explain, but in my opinion, it has already come in and penetrated. Many evangelical spaces people don't know what it's called. They don't know that they've already bought into it. And so we're going to do our best to talk about this idea.
1: Kevin said he was the backup plan. Yeah, he was the backup plan. That- it's not like that, Kevin. It? It's not.
2: What? See what happened was. It's not like that. Bye. Doug RuTice couldn't make it live, uh, and then the week after that will be the one and only legendary Nancy Piercy.
1: Yes, I'm excited to finally talk to her. All right, everyone, we must go now because I have 75 papers to write. We will see you in a few weeks. I right. bless you. Good night. Good night.
0: Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.